Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Seta. I want to sincerely thank all of you who attended our first live podcast event in Miami. It was an incredible experience recording one of these podcasts in front of an audience. Skylar, Tom, and I were thrilled by the amount of people that came out to support the show. Perhaps we'll do another Illuminate Live in the future. In the meantime, our next two episodes return to the regular format and were recorded at the recent Lightforce Future Meeting in Boston. Now, without further ado, we're on to today's episode. I saw all of the new technologies that were coming into orthodontics, the 3D printing, the wire bending, aligners, things like that. And that's when I had my epiphany that this is what I was supposed to do. I'm Dr. Chris Seta, and I'm shining a light on the innovators of our profession. Welcome to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. On today's show, my guest is Dr. Chris Bonebreak-Jackson. One of my favorite podcasts is a show called How I Built This by Guy Raz. Guy loves to ask how much of an individual's success do they attribute to skill and hard work versus how much they might chalk up to luck. Inevitably, most entrepreneurs ascribe their success to both. Put another way, while we can't change the cards we're dealt, we can certainly control how we play the hand. Today, I'm thrilled to shine a light on an orthodontist innovator who has a fascinating life story that was profiled by the Wall Street Journal. Dr. Chris Bonebreak Jackson was recently announced as the Director of Clinical Affairs for Lightforce. Dr. Jackson has an impressive background that includes orthodontic private practice, research into 3D printing technologies, and orthodontic education. As you'll hear on today's episode, while studying to become a mechanical engineer at MIT, an online poker hobby leads her to become a bond trader on Wall Street well before going all-in with Lightforce. Well, welcome to the podcast. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Doing amazing. Why don't you tell everyone where we're at? So we are in a special room inside the Omni Hotel in downtown Boston, where we are having our Lightforce Future Summit. Yeah. Two days of just amazing speakers on everything from starting with Lightforce and marketing it. And I just did a session on some advanced topics to help get doctors comfortable using Lightforce on all of their cases. It's really an incredible community here. And Boston is a city that's near and dear to my heart because I lived here for eight years and we're moving back here in a few weeks. Which well. is incredible. Yeah. yeah. So learning a little bit about your life, it seems like all roads lead back to Boston, which I know we're going to dive into. This here. is my third time moving back to Boston. Wow. It really <laughs> sucks you back in. Huh? Yes. That's funny. I'm from New Jersey originally, and I think I've moved back like two or three times too. So this is my first Lightforce Future meeting, but this is actually the second one, I believe, right? Yes. You guys have done a phenomenal job so far. Uh, we had the first day of speakers. 
really cool sort of like theater in the round setup. So they had like four areas with four screens with the stage in the center. I think the speakers weren't quite sure where where to speak, but uh, it came off really cool. And they had a dual speaker lineup, which I thought was really neat. They sort of uh, paired speakers together and everyone was sort of feeding off each other. So it was something uh, very unique, I think, that it was. Uh, and even, Matt Handy and the crew came up with. Yes. And even I learned something new today as well. Great. So having another Chris on the show, this is my first female Chris that I'm honored to have you on the show. Now, are you a Christina, Christine, Kristen? It's a Christina with a CH, <laughs> which is which how you, you have to specify, define it. Right? You do. And much like I'm sure you are, you know, if we're children of the, the 80s, if you will, mm-hmm. um, my kindergarten class had six Christina's and Christopher's and oh, Chris's. There in were it. like so, so many. That's why I tended after a while just to go by my last name, just because there were so many Chris's and Brian's and Joseph's, I guess, in my class. But I understand here at Light Force, you go by Bones. Is that correct? Yes, they call me Bones or Dr. Bones, uh-huh. and which is a play on my maiden name, which was Bone Break. Um, and it's fun because it's, you know, it's very informal, you know, I'm a very informal person and, you know, I don't want to rely on titles and I think everyone wants to call you something a little bit more formal when you're a doctor. It's like, no, just call me Bones or if you really must, Dr. Bones, cause that sounds even funnier. There you go. So, and I understand your dad was an orthodontist, but was it like a missed opportunity to become like an orthopedic surgeon? We had higher aspirations. <laughs> So you grew up in Maryland, right? From yes. what I understand, was it in Columbia that your father practiced? Yes, Columbia and Clarksville. Okay, which is just in between Baltimore and Washington. And I believe you have a twin brother. Is that right? There I is do. another. Yes. Okay. Dave. And he went on to eventually become an orthodontist. If I understand. Yes, he did, and he did the whole path straight through school. You know, he was on like the rush track. He did his undergrad in three years did a two-year ortho residency at Nova Southeastern. So um, I know we'll get to this point in my story, but I started my journey into dental school when he was finishing his residency. And yeah, we're, so, and we're twins. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your story, because you didn't go right into dentistry, like you said. No, I took a few, a few weaves uh, before I made it there. So I started as a mechanical engineer. I always loved math and science and you know, analytics and mm-hmm. uh, ended up at MIT, which was a really amazing place and found my home in mechanical engineering, really enjoyed working with my hands um, and all of that. And I thought I would be an engineer and then things changed the first time. Yeah. So how did life change? <laughs> so you graduated from MIT and, you know, what was the next step for you? Well, I, what I thought the next step was going to be was to work at a national research lab or an industry. But during my summer internships at labs, I was often the only woman, you know, who was in mm-hmm. the engineering internship program. And so if I wanted to hang out with everybody after work, I had to do what they were doing and they were playing poker. So I po- learned poker was big back then. So that's like how Texas I learned how to, Yeah. So that's how I learned how to play poker. And this was back when party poker online was legal. Mm -hmm. Um, So we would all play, you know, in these virtual games for money. And that's where I learned the odds of the game and how to take risks and assess them. And of course, it was always fun when you won some money. And so when I came back for my senior year, this became kind of a big hobby of mine. And that set me up for when I was applying for jobs. In addition to applying for, you know, the engineering jobs that I thought I would do, I also threw my hat in the ring for the investment banks that were coming to MIT and doing a lot of recruiting. 
my roommates were all business majors and they were applying to these banks. So I figured, why not? I'll just throw my resume in, see what happens. And before long, I was getting called back to the next round, the next round, the next round of interviews. And my very last interview with Goldman Sachs, they put out this hypothetical poker hand for me. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I played this hand last uh, night. Like, this is this oh, is like no totally way. my jam. Um, so we talked about, you know, the risks and what are you thinking and what are the odds and how are you going to, you know, how are you going to play this? And then, of course, they would ask me some rapid fire math questions that you would have on the bond trading floor, that sort of thing. And so I got the job as I jokingly call it my professional gambling career. Yeah. Um, and that's how I that's how I became a bond trader. Wow. People that's always a- wonder how I got there. And that's you seem super there. smart, but like. Could you actually like count cards? So that's for blackjack. Oh, and hello. <laughs> that's okay. But you know what? Blackjack is not a game I like to play at the casinos because if you take a card that you're not intended to have and that the next guy was supposed to have, and let's say that card would have gotten him, you know, 21 or something, they mm-hmm. get they get mad at you. So it's not a very team sport game. Did you have but, a poker nickname? Well, this, isn't, this is an embarrassing seen. question. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, She's turning red right now, by the way. So, well, you know, it, it goes kind of both ways. So, you know, you have a little avatar that plays at your game. And my AOL instant messenger name at the time, we're dating ourselves here. Yeah, right. Um, but it was Tortuga74 because we all had stupid things, right? <laughs> so that was my poker handle name. Um, but my avatar was always a guy. I always had like a male avatar player. Why'd you have a male avatar? Uh, because they tended to bet more aggressively to push you out of games uh, okay. if you were, so you were the woman at the table. Gotcha. So if I just wanted everything to be nice and neutral, just, of course, I don't know what guy would have Tortuga 74 as their, <laughs> well, there you <laughs> go. their avatar. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that's how I played, just kind of behind the scenes. So it's really cool. I think that poker sort of led you into that whole world and... I mean, this must have been, what was it, like 2000... 2005. Mm-hmm. And so that's when you joined Goldman was 2005. Yeah. And the whole financial crisis, if I'm remembering my history, I think that started like around 2007 was Lehman yes. Brothers and yeah. all that. Mm-hmm. So what was it like being on like Wall Street during that time? It was craziness. Oh my It gosh. was absolutely crazy. I remember, um, you know, we were all like, you know reading the headlines, we're watching what's happening, you know, we're seeing what's happening in the market, but we never thought that Lehman Brothers would go bankrupt or that Bear Stearns would be acquired for $2 a share, what have you. And we had a lot of trades that were facing Lehman. And so it was a Sunday afternoon. I was at a Mets game and I get a call from the head of my desk that says all the traders need to come in because we have to unwind all these trades that we have against Lehman and like figure out who the counterparties are on the other side of these trades and all of these things. And so wow. we all show up like eating a hot dog that I got at the baseball <laughs> game, you know, and we all show up like in our shorts and T-shirts and baseball caps like like we've never seen each other before because this is a very professional environment. Like, of course, you, yeah. you know, like you don't ever see someone that casual. And that really kind of struck home to us that, OK, we're in crisis mode now and we barely left. The trading floor. Wow. So, and I think Goldman too was maybe sort of implicated in some ways, right? In somewhat of the subprime mortgage crisis. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, I think all the banks were, and I was not, the bond trading floor that I was with was not related to the mortgage lending that was happening. Yeah. But we were still, we had counterparties, you know, the banks that were getting, you know, just put under. So it still affected us greatly. Mm -hmm. And yes, I'm sure that there were plenty of culpable people at all of the banks. 
Yeah, well, that's a yeah. different podcast completely. <laughs> it's, but it's interesting. Story, let's take but, yeah. it back to Boston because from what I read about your story, it was actually like going to, I believe, like an AO with your dad, right? That yeah. Planted a seed, maybe, for you becoming a dentist? No, it, it definitely was. I had planned to come up for the weekend. The AAO was here in Boston, where I had done my undergrad. And I know that we're on a podcast, so our viewers can't see what we see. But I'm looking at the convention center right now through the windows of our little podcast lounge here. So that's the convention center right that's there. That's the convention the center right wow. there. So that's where I was when I, when I had this experience. So being here and looking right at it makes me feel like I've come full circle. But I was just coming up to hang out with my family. Our birthdays are all around that time. And I, you know, my brother and I are twins, mm-hmm. so we share a birthday, of course. And I just wanted to hang out with everybody and... My brother let me borrow his trade pass, you know, the badge to get on the floor. And so I'm hanging out with dad and I just figured I'm going to get my toothbrush supply for the year and (laughs) whatever other stuff. It's so funny, right? How people go around and collect all the free stuff. Oh, it's like trick or treating. (laughs) And so that was my plan. And I was there and I just I saw all of the new technologies that were coming into orthodontics, the 3D printing, the wire bending, you know, aligners, things like that. And that's when I had my epiphany that this is what I was supposed to do. I can be an engineer. I can help people. You know, I'd always seen how much my dad loved his job, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I was just kind of a rebel. I was like, no, I'm going to do something else instead. So I was like, okay, well, I guess you were right all along. And (laughs) my brother helped me figure out what my path would be to apply to dental school because I still had prerequisites that I needed to take. Yeah, I was going to say you probably And I didn't know any, you know, I didn't know any of this stuff. So, um, but the AAO was in May of 2009. And by June, I had started my application to dental school. So it was like, if I'm going to do it, I'm just, I got to do it now. I don't want to wait another year. So I found all the classes I had to take after work. Um, I mean, and that must have been crazy, right? At Goldman during the day, trading bonds and mm-hmm. then taking these night classes, like whether it was like Orgo or yep. wh- whatever you had to take, yep. physics 101. Well, the physics I'd mastered as a mechanical uh, engineer, good point. so I didn't okay. need any more physics, but I needed the biology lab. I needed the organic chemistry lab. And I couldn't let anyone at work know that I was doing this because I didn't want to lose the ability to trade, you know, like if if they didn't think that I was going to be staying long term, then they wouldn't put me in that responsibility to handle that much money. When we come back in just a moment, how Chris secretly finishes her dental prerequisites while trading bonds on Wall Street and how one of her confidants at Goldman Sachs becomes an important part of her life. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Kind support for this podcast comes from ULAB Systems. ULAB is the next generation aligner company. Their team of healthcare innovators is creating the most flexible platform on the market so orthodontists can choose the right combination of aligner therapy for their patients' best outcomes. Their latest release, UDesign 7.0, brings advanced AI for treatment setup and auto staging making in-office treatment planning and manufacturing easier than ever. No time to treatment plan? Then send your case to the USS team for a quick turnaround. Orthodontists have the option to order aligners from ULAB's US-based facility or create them in-office. ULAB brings you flexibility and speed to run your practice your way. To learn more, head over to ulabsystems.com. Welcome back to our conversation with Dr. Chris Bonebreak-Jackson. 
Um, so I had to do this all under wraps. I confided in two people to help me, help cover for yeah, me. Yeah, tell when me I about that. This sounds and, like a story. So I had um, two friends that I confided in, and they would move my bag to the elevator bank so that I could walk wow. off and pretend like I'm just walking to the bathroom, but I'm actually getting in the elevator and running down the street to This was like really University. clandestine, right? It had to be. It was so clandestine. And like, I just needed some some backup support. And I had a couple of tricky moments where I would run into colleagues like on my way over to Pace University. And it was just really awkward because I couldn't be like, oh, this is where I'm going. And here's why it was like, oh, I'm just yeah, going to turn around say? and walk back <laughs> in that direction, you know. And then the other friend that I confided in, he and I were training for a half marathon together. So we would just spend a lot of time talking. And so I would, you know, share this with him. And then he would start like buying extra snacks at lunch and putting them in my bag so I'd have Aww. something to eat on the way home. And so if anyone has already heard or read my story, they'll know that I later married that man. Aww. So so my husband, Rob, is amazing. He has followed me around the country now about three times to follow my dreams. Um, but I always say, you know, he knew what he was getting into. Right. Like we, go. we got together while I was applying for dental school and he knew that I was going to be moving and, you know, doing all these things. So I can't say that he's surprised. And where did you end up going in dental school? So I ended up at Harvard for dental Amazing. school. So that was my first move back to Boston after having done my undergrad. There's the count. MIT. Number one. Yeah. Um, so I was back in Boston and I just I had a really terrific time. And one thing that was that I really enjoyed about being a student again is that I felt like my success was in my own control. Like on the trading floor, you're getting lucky on what the market's doing or, you know, like how hard you work isn't reflected by how much success success maybe. you have, sure. right? Um, at the end of the day, every day, there is a report that went out to all of management with how much money you made or lost that day. And that's stressful. Like every single day you have this number next to your name and it's either red or black. And mm. so it was it was really nice to be back in school again. And it's like, oh, if I study really hard for this test, I get a good grade and that feels good. And, you know, and of course you learn more. And yeah. so so I really enjoyed being back in school, even though I was technically old <laughs> at that time. Maybe a little older or wiser, <laughs> if you want to say Now it. I realize how young I was. But but you like when you've been working for five years and you do the math and, you're oh, I'm going to be 34 when I finish all my school again. You know, it just it feels like it's going to be a long time. But that time's going to go by no matter what. It, so, it, yeah. And it did. And more time has gone by since. And so. where did you do your ortho program? So I ended up at UNC for ortho, mm -hmm. which was very fortuitous. Um, you know, I'd always known about ortho at UNC, you know, obviously with Dr. Profit being there and a lot of the amazing research that has come out of UNC. The only reason I really considered applying there is because I have some family in North Carolina. I always thought I would stay in the Northeast. Yeah, okay. So, you know, I was applying to the schools in Boston, all along the East Coast. And my grandmother who at the time was 94, um, was living in that area. So I was like, okay, I'll just come down. I can visit my grandmother while I interview. And when I was at UNC, I just realized this is really an amazing place. Like, oh. I think I have to be here. So if I, I mean, I really only just applied for that one reason. And then I ended up just loving it. So what do you love the most about UNC? The people. Yeah, It's always about the people, right? Um, and the Carolina blue skies don't hurt. Oh, Even though the summers are a little hot. But I think the faculty there is just tremendous. I teamed up with my program director at the time and we did our research together um, because he was also an engineer. So to have the opportunity to go there and be with Ching Ko was really amazing. My co-residents were all terrific. And I just like being surrounded by hardworking people that are passionate about what they do. And I found that there. So what was your research in? So I did research in 3D metal printing for orthodontics. 
Very and cool. this was a way to, you know, kind of get back into my engineering. And I, you know, designed some brackets. We designed some other types of appliances. And we got to work on really figuring out how to make 3D printing metal viable for orthodontics. And okay. spoiler alert, it's very hard to have a really teeny tiny metal part that has a really good surface finish. Um, and so that's yeah. so that was actually the basis of the research that we continued to do for a few years. Um, and so when people ask all the time, why don't we have 3D metal printed brackets at Lightforce? Well, that that challenge is still being solved. From my own experience, um, I have a product called Precision Aligner Buttons, and they tried to direct metal print some prototypes, mm-hmm. and they were just totally dimensionally inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I mean, it barely looked like anything that would be metal injection molded or mimmed. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I hope one day the technology comes along, because that would be pretty revolutionary if it did. Yeah, and I think it's, but, it's heading in that direction. Okay, cool. Um, but what I love is that, you know, I recognized that having a custom orthodontic appliance was what we needed is where the future was going. And I know Alfred was doing his research at the same time. And we actually connected a bunch when we were in residency. Oh, really? Um, And we would talk about the research that we were doing kind of in parallel paths. So, you know, that was never a leap of faith for me to take. Like that was like, no, this is where we're going. And we just have to figure out the best way to get it there. So I think there's more to your story. You were in practice, I believe, in North Carolina. Yes. Yeah. So tell us about that. Yes. So um, right out of graduation, I joined a practice that was in my neighborhood. I loved, you know, treating my neighbors and that community. And then that practice went through a transition. So I needed to find another orthodontic home to be a part of. And that's where I reached out to Kervin Mack, who I, I had met in passing at UNC. Uh, because he was an alum there and he would come back occasionally and do some lectures to the residents. And so we just met in passing and realized, oh, you know, we both went to Harvard and you seem like a fun person. And we had kind of kept in touch. And it wasn't until 2019 that he was in a place to really bring someone else on. Um, and I'm so lucky that that person was me because we have really had a f- fun few years together for oh, sure. That's awesome. And Kervin's such a great guy. Another bass player. I did not know yeah. he went to Harvard. I knew he was a pharmacist before yeah, he went to Yeah, he also dentistry. has had kind of an interesting path. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. So you were, I guess, maybe practicing a couple days a week with Kervin and then still doing research as well? Yes. Okay. So I was doing research with Ching Ko uh, about two, two and a half days a week. And we had a grant from the National Science Foundation, so I was the principal investigator for that. So I had to devote 50% of my time to that. And then uh, I was in practice with Kervin two days a week, and then I was teaching at UNC about one day every other week. Oh, wow. So that's like an awesome balance, I guess, right? Of yeah, it was, being able to do all those different right, things. Right. It was so fun. And, and I got to do all the different things that I really like to do. So honestly, I was like in a really good place. I want to rewind here, I guess, back to Boston, right? I wasn't at the meeting last year, but I guess you were. So what happened there? I know. So I came to the meeting. Of course, the AAO in Boston, again, was supposed to be here, but it was moved to virtual for reasons that we all know. And Lightforce was brilliant. And they gathered up all the doctors that were in the area and said, hey, like we'll host you. So come on over, see what we're all about. We'll, we'll show you a really good time. And so I went and I was so skeptical. Like I really wanted 
to not like what they were doing because I had a similar vision, right? To help bring, you know, 3D printing customization to orthodontics. And not that we would like be competing or anything like that, but it's just like, well, if I haven't been able to do it so far, like, have they been able to do it? Like, you know, what's what's going on here? And so I showed up and, you know, I was just so blown away by the people, by the Mm. company that they'd created. It's like, wow, like this is a real company. I'm hearing all these doctors talking about how much they love using Lightforce. Like they're not just BSing. They're not paid to be here. Like I'm not talking about the speakers. I'm just talking about everybody who was in the audience, you know, just had such amazing things to say about it. And so that's when I was like, okay, I just need to get out of my feelings about this and we need to start using Lightforce. So I came back to Kervin and I was like, we got to try this. So you hadn't even tried the product. No. You just came to the meeting just to scope no, just, it out. Yeah, okay. I just came to scope it out. And like I said, I wanted to not be impressed. Yeah. <laughs> but I was. I couldn't. It backfired. Have, it backfired. Um, so I brought it back to Kervin and he's like, yeah, if you're into it, like I'm all in. Let's give it a try. And so we started using it in practice. And then I brought it to my students at UNC. Because I really want them to have that digital orthodontics experience. Which is great. And I know that they really enjoy it. And so in the process of becoming more familiar with the execution and the quality of Lightforce, it was like, okay, like this is this is really cool. Like I, I can get behind this. And what I didn't mention is that a year earlier, before Lightforce Future, Alfred and I, you know, because we would catch up every now and then and, and mm-hmm. we would chat. And he talked to me about the possibility of moving to Boston and being with Lightforce. Uh-huh. And I was so like, he was sort of courting you. To so come he had been kind of courting me, but okay. but like we talked about before, I was in a really good place. Like yeah. I was working with Corbin. We were having a great time in practice. I was teaching, doing my research. So I was like, nah, I'm good. Plus your family was growing too, And my family's right? growing. Like I have three daughters, you yeah. know, at that point and you know, they're all in school. We love, we have amazing community and neighbors where we are. So yeah. I was like, that sounds like fun, but I'm good. So, you know, I'll just catch you later. And then it was after Lightforce Future that I started to realize, okay, you know, I could I could maybe see myself here, but I didn't do anything about that. It wasn't until later that fall that Alfred reached out to me again and was like, let's talk. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm ready to I'm ready to listen now. Yeah. So and that's how it came to be that we are moving back to Boston again. And that must have just been such an incredibly tough decision because I know how close you are to Kervin. It was and... it was the hardest. And that was the main reason why. I was really reluctant to, Mm -hmm. and I knew that it was going to be a really sad conversation when I had to tell him that Mm -hmm. this is a decision I was making and what it would mean for us as a practice. Um, so, but he is so awesome and he's, you know, he'll tell you like he's devastated, but he understands, you know, and, and he's still super supportive and he's still super supportive. And so he's still like, he's all in on light force and getting behind what we're doing. And, and he's here. He just helped me moderate a session um, on advanced light planning techniques. And so he's coming along for, he's coming along for the ride. I'll put it that way. Yeah. So Chris, we've been hearing about light force a lot at this meeting, but what's the technology behind it? So Lightforce is made by 3D printing a polycrystalline alumina, which is fancy for ceramic. Okay. <laughs> and what 3D printing allows us to do is to make a different part every time mm-hmm. without having the same kind of investment that you would have to make if you were doing something with metal injection molding, which is how brackets are traditionally made. So yeah. companies have to invest a lot of money into making a mold that has to produce the exact same part over and over and over again. That's the only way that you make that mold cost effective. Um, and that's the difference with 3D printing is that we can print something different every single time. So what that means for our patients and our doctors is that we can print 
a unique bracket for every single tooth. Which is very cool. And let's geek out here for a second. So just describe like the traditional way in orthodontics of metal brackets and metal injection molding and like what's involved with that. So a company is going to spend a lot of money, like a million dollars, to make a mold that will produce one type of bracket. And Mm. so the company has to spend a lot of time you know, deciding, well, okay, what is the slot going to be? What is Mm -hmm. the prescription going to be? And then they are married to that bracket because they've just spent all this money on that mold. Yeah, you don't have to remake it, right? Right. And um, But the other problem with the molds is that they degrade over time, which means that Mm. the millionth bracket that you make from this mold is going to have a wider slot. It's going to be a more divergent slot. And because of the technology, since you have to be able to take these brackets off of the mold, the slots have to be slightly divergent or Hmm. else if you had any kind of undercut or if they were too parallel, you wouldn't be able to pull it off the mold. So that is why our brackets have wide slots that are divergent. And then that just reduces the efficiency of our treatments because we're not getting out of our wires what we're putting into them. We're having to overcompensate bends, tips, torques, rotations, what have you, just because of the inaccuracy of the slot. And they're not even uniformly inaccurate. So you can't even know exactly how much it's going to be. And there's tolerances to the wires too, right? And the the wires tend to be undersized Mm -hmm. um, in order to be able to fit into the slots. And so with 3D printing, since it's literally just every layer of that bracket is being made just layer by layer um, in a very tiny size. And so because we can make such unique parts and they're not dependent on a mold, we have very precise parallel slots. And so not only are we able to have a custom bracket, but you can get out of that bracket what you put into it just by using your regular arch wires and mechanics. Which is so cool. And I believe like the quote about Lightforce is you guys are a hardware company that innovates at the pace of software, right? Yes. It's so awesome because I can go to our engineers with an idea that I get from one of our orthodontists, one of yeah. our users, or just something that I've thought of during you know a brainstorming session. And, and we get together and we think, how can we make this better based on the feedback that we're getting? And we can literally design and print prototypes that day and start working on making something better. So that's literally making new products at the same pace that you would make software changes. We don't need to make molds, which would take forever and be a fortune. So there's no incentive for traditional companies to even be innovative. It's just too slow and expensive. It is. And and I think I mentioned to you earlier that with our precision aligner buttons, our metal button is a MIM technology. And to get to the point of 2.0, you know, we're almost at year five by the time we're redoing the molds. And I think it's, I don't know, costing somewhere around like $20,000 to redo that one particular mold, which is a lot of money to invest in just for like, a, you to know. To try something. Exactly. To see right? if you it can't works. even like prototype it really, which is crazy. So, I mean, with 3D printing, it's so cool that you can iterate on that and very quickly in make changes. In real time. Yeah. I, I, know. F- I feel your pain, Chris. I'm so sorry that you're well, stuck in this Well, our clear, buttons, our clear buttons are 3D printed, that technology. So, um, great. But yeah, I mean, I would love for you, Chris, to come up with a great metal 3D printing technology that we can I know keep it's working being, on. I know it's being worked on. I okay. know it. When we come back, just a moment. We discuss incorporating orthodontic appliances into your Lightforce treatment plan and the new Lightforce molar tubes that some have called sexy. Stay with us. You're listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. Podcast. 
kind support for this podcast comes from 3M Oral Care. Have you heard of the latest innovation from 3M Orthodontics? The all-new 3M Clarity Aligners Flex Material features five layers of flexibility and excellent force persistence and is suited for movements of rotation and proclination. The new material complements the legacy 3M Clarity Aligners Force Material to offer truly customized treatment designs throughout a single treatment plan. And with the 3M Oral Care Portal, advanced treatment design is at your fingertips. To explore how you can start enjoying more choice than ever, or to request a demo, please visit 3M.com slash Clarity Aligners. And we're back to our conversation with Dr. Chris Bonebreak Jackson. So let's talk a little bit about future. I loved uh, you guys had some like breakout sessions today, really sort of got into the nitty gritty of some light force cases for those of you listening that are light force users. Talk to me about some like advanced level cases with either like herps or RPEs, different things you would like recommend for those cases. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I was really excited to teach our users today is how to incorporate functional appliances into yeah. Light Force. Because as we know, you know, at the time that we're recording this, this is June. This mm-hmm. is our busy, you know, braces season, teen season. Right. And it's our adolescent patients that need expanders and herps and forces and carriers and all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't ever want a doctor to think, well, I don't know how to combine this custom treatment with an appliance that I have to order from a lab or something like that. And so my bottom line recommendation is you plan out your case six to six or seven to seven. You plan it out as you normally would. And then you bond your appliances. You Mm -hmm. section your bonding trays. So if I have an expander in, I'm not going to bond my custom sixes yet. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bond everything five to five on the upper and then all of my lower brackets. Once I finish my expansion, and I take my expander out after I've held it in long enough. That's when I already have my custom bracket to put on that tooth and help bring it into place. So yeah. I'm not even really worried about having a step between the fives and sixes or having some kind of rotation since I've you know put my expander in first because I know I'm going to get that tooth where I want it to go at the end. And especially with expansion... I love using our grid tool in the light plan software because I can measure out exactly how much expansion I need to get from my start to my finish. And the final arch form for the upper arch is going to be dependent on the lower arch, right? Mm -hmm. So we're going to upright those compensated tipped in molars, and then we're going to plan our upper arch to fit over the bottom. And I don't want to be guessing how many turns my patient has to make in order to achieve my desired expansion. I just measure it on my grid tool and I see, oh, we need seven millimeters of expansion. That's going to be a quarter millimeter of a turn. So that's going to be four weeks of of turning. So I'll see you back. You engineers are so smart. And and by grid tool, it's almost like that. uh, I guess it's called like grid paper, right? That we use. Mm -hmm. And uh, they have a similar tool, I think, in ClinCheck, but it's like millimeter little squares. Each each grid line is a millimeter. So I use that to measure how far I need things to move if it's in my hands. Like let's say with an expander. So recently I did two RPE cases with Lightforce. And what I actually did was I expanded first and then I held it for a while because I know sometimes like the central incisors will start drifting. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want the IDB trays not to fit. But you're saying actually expand with the brackets, right? Yes. And do you think there's any concerns there with like opening the suture and the centrals like going into areas where there isn't bone? Yeah, no, not at all, because I use brackets with my expander all the time. I'll Mm -hmm. just do my expander. I'll just still be in my round wires while I'm doing my expansion. And then 
once I've held my expander in for as long as I want to help the suture stabilize, that's when I'll take the bands off the back, put my custom brackets on and just move up in my arch wire, start closing spaces as I need to, et cetera. So how about some of these like sagittal or AP appliances like you yeah. mentioned Herbst and Carrier? Mm-hmm. So what do you recommend for yeah. those? So, um, so I have a patient right now that Kervin and I are treating together and he needs some overjet before we can use his Herbst, right? We can't advance him. He's class two div two. So those centrals mm-hmm. are retroclined way back. So I've got my case all planned out from start to finish. I'm bonding everything from day one because I need to establish my overjet first. When it's time for me to place my Herbst, I'm just going to remove the brackets that are on the fives and sixes or fours if I need to, use my functional appliance. And then when I remove the appliance nine months, a year later, what have you, I have those individual rebonding jigs that I'm going to use to put the brackets back on the fours, fives, and sixes because I've already planned where I want those teeth to go. And Light Force sends you a backup set of brackets for every case. And when you use one, you just order another one. There's no fee for that. We just always want our doctors and patients to have a spare bracket which is should great. they need it, yeah. which I love. It's peace of mind yeah. um, because things happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like our patients are always going to eat rocks. Um, so, But I use that to my advantage when I'm doing functional appliances because I'll just take the brackets off as I need to, place my appliances, and then use the brackets that are already designed for those teeth to get them back in the right place. Which is fantastic. And I mentioned to you, too, one of the things that I love about Lightforce is the secondary scan support, right? Yes. Because I use that so much for my tween patients, teen patients, erupting teeth. Yes. Sometimes you need to get started. You can't wait for the fives and sevens because you need to start with growth modification or or right. something else. Or, you know, the parents are tromping at the bit and school's starting and all of this stuff. I mean, I get it. Ideally, yeah. would you have all the teeth in? Sure. But we all have patients that have partially erupted or unerupted teeth when we start, or if you have an impacted tooth, right? Of course. And you have to yeah. bring these in. So Lightforce has made it really easy for you to be able to take a second scan and then incorporate those newly erupted teeth into your plan. And then we send you a custom bracket for those. Which I think is fantastic. And it's like an individual IDB, just like a jig, right? Yeah, just for a single tooth jig. And so, and you can do that for as many teeth as you need to that have been coming into the arch. Which I think is phenomenal. So Chris, I know with the Lightforce 2.0 release, you guys released custom sevens, which I think is pretty awesome. And I think Moz in his talk today called them quote unquote sexy, right? With like They just, are just the fit, right? <laughs> like if you look at your traditional mimmed buckle tube and how it really fits on a molar, it doesn't really fit that great. But these are pretty impressive. So tell us a little bit about like the technology that went behind oh developing my these sevens. Yeah. So all of our molar tubes are so awesome because I so I collect images of the funky brackets we make. Do you? Because there's so many, you know, funky cusps out there and just molars have so much variation. And I would love just to be able to show everybody this collection of funky molar tubes that I have because these are two that would be a nightmare to bond with a traditional bracket. So one of the challenges with getting our sixes and sevens out to market was that we had to really perfect the way that the tubes themselves were manufactured because, Mm -hmm. of course, that surface of the inside of the tube is critical. Um, And so that's what our engineers spent a lot of time just getting perfect. And we started out with releasing the sixes and we have the sevens in advanced beta right now because we have been working with some different IDB trade delivery techniques and Mm -hmm. we're getting ready to have that out for everybody very soon. And it's super exciting, not just because they fit so well, but because you can really advanced plan your cases as far as vertical goes. 
I showed a case today in my light planning seminar. It was our first case with sevens. And this is a case you would not want to treat the sevens on because it was a class three open by tendency. Like that's our worst nightmare, right? That you throw brackets on these sevens and you open everything up. So this, it was like, okay, if we can do it with this case, we're good. Like we got it for everybody. And it was amazing to see the kind of control that we had on not just the vertical, but also the torque to be able to get these plunging cusps out of the way and the rotation of the molars. It's just you can dial it in and you don't have to have a special bracket or put a bend in in order to do what you need to do for your sixes and sevens. So it really is a game changer. I agree with Maz. I think these brackets are really sexy. Um, (laughs) And it really like it completes the whole package, right? They were worth the wait. But at first I was so hesitant because I'm like, wait, ceramic in the posterior. No way. Like I actually like told them, no, I want the metal brackets in the back. But I think Maz was the one saying it today, like his breakage. And I only have done a couple cases with the custom sixes and sevens. Yeah. He said he's like had like very little to no breakage because they fit so well. I mean, that's incredible because you don't have these gaps between the bracket and the tooth that are filled in with composite and probably have voids in there. And so, yeah, they're just much easier to break off. Plus, it's so hard to shine the light under the metal. Right. So is the composite fully cured? Right. I mean, that's another factor. The light goes through those brackets for the final cure. So it's really nice. And then, of course, I always ask my doctors to make sure that their patients are not hitting on any brackets in excursive movements as well as just inclusion. That's a good tip Um, because, you know, the light plan will design turbos that are designed precisely to open your bite just enough to avoid contacting those lower anteriors, but they don't know how your patient's going to function. We can't model what their joint looks like yet. Anyways, we'll obviously be taking whatever technologies we can to be able to do that with CBCT one day. But for now, I do just as a cautionary measure. I have my patients go in excursive movements and if they need a little bit of extra bite opening, we just add to the bite turbos themselves. I'll put a little bumper O-tie on the offending bracket or maybe a little bit of soft flow over the tie wing okay. after I put the O-ring on and cure that. And then that just gives me peace of mind. You know, obviously, we want our patients to not be biting on these brackets. Yeah, uh, that's a great tip. Chris, before we wrap it up, I know we've talked a lot about your many professional accomplishments, your busy family life and your three beautiful daughters. And I know you have several hobbies, including online poker. <laughs> and and I recently learned that you're into jazz trumpet, too, which I think you studied like as a minor. Right? I did. MIT. I minored in jazz trumpet. And it's funny. The reason I well, obviously, because I love to play, but MIT had the ability to turn a certain number of performing arts classes that you would take. So I would be in the wind ensemble or the jazz band, whatever. And you could, if you took two of those classes, you could combine them to get a credit for your humanities requirement. And so rather than be in a class and have to write papers, which I hate to do, Mm -hmm. I just took all the performing arts that I could and then converted those into my humanities credits. So I did, so I did it basically as a way to get out of writing papers. Um, but obviously, I love to play and I played for a long time. And I was just back at MIT in March and was able to play in my alumni jazz band. So it was fun to be back. I, I don't think of like MIT having a jazz band. But from what I understand, you know, I, I'm a musician, but I'm much more of a creative. I'm not good at math, but I understand people that like are really good at math, just like understand music the, theory. There's a big correlation. There really is. And I, and that, I think that really helped me to be able to understand intervals and and yeah. be able to improvise and play. So. Do you have like a favorite jazz trumpeter or, you know, Well, naturally, people? Miles Davis is uh, my favorite. The birth of the cool. Who doesn't yes. like Miles Davis, I know, right? right? No, it's so easy. Um, so we love to play jazz at the house for the kids and I'm getting my girls into playing piano, which, which was my first instrument. So we're hoping to be a very musical household. Very cool. 
any other hobbies or interests, which I wouldn't know how you would have time for any others, but. Well, one thing I will say, I'm looking forward to being back in the New England area because I love to hike. And I don't like to hike in the heat. (laughs) So that's been a challenge in North Carolina. My husband is from Vancouver, Canada, and they have access to just the most amazing mountains and and everything there. So we are looking to really get outdoors once we get back up here. Nice. I know North Carolina, because I went to school at Wake Forest, there is some hiking down there, but the humidity is crazy. So like up here, where would you go hiking? I mean, is it like New Hampshire? Maine? Yeah, like, we're, okay. we're all over the place. We, we spent a week in Burlington, Vermont a couple summers ago, pre-COVID, and was able to do some fun hikes there when my kids were really little. So New Hampshire, you know, the Berkshires, Maine. We'll get up to Acadia National Park before you know it. So we're really eager to get out and do stuff. We're doers, if you haven't learned that by now. (laughs) I love it. Well, Chris, uh, Bones, if you will, it's been an honor to have you on the podcast. If people want to learn more about Lightforce, where should they go? They go to lf.co. lf.co. You guys changed the website, right? Mm -hmm. Didn't it used to be Lightforce Ortho? It did. And, and now it's lf.co. Why, why limit ourselves? <laughs> lf.co. <laughs> I love it. Enjoy the rest of Life Force Future. Thanks, you too. That's all for this episode of the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. If you're a fan of the show, please make sure you subscribe or follow Illuminate on your favorite podcast app. Also, I'd appreciate if you could leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to our sponsors for this episode. That's ULab Systems and 3M Oral Care. As always, this podcast would not be possible without the Illuminate team. That's Skylar Adler on the mixing console and Tom O'Grady on the Fender Rhodes electric piano. Thanks so much for listening to the Illuminate Orthodontic Podcast. To hear exclusive outtakes, suggest a guest, or sponsor an episode, head over to IlluminateOrthoPodcast.com. Until next time, this is Dr. Chris Seta, signing off. <laughs>